Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our last Sunday school lesson of the year. I was talking with, I uh, had a doctor's appointment this morning and uh, talking to one of the nurses and she said, this year seems to have gone by fast. And I said, yeah, but it was the slowest fast year I think I've ever seen. And uh, I think more than one person has kind of felt like that. It just kind of would drag on out and then all of a sudden it's over. And that's kind of the way I think life is. And there are a lot of people that come to the end of their life, even after many years. And they always say the same thing. It seemed to go by in just a blink, kind of the life is but a vapor type thing that the Bible speaks of. And so here we are at the end of another year, getting ready to start 2022. So start practicing how you're going to write your checks and things like that, because it's always a little bit difficult to get used to the new year. But I think for most of us, we're kind of ready for uh, something new and something different, except that we forget that um, hard times and problems, they don't really look at the calendar, do they? Sometimes they follow us even into the next year. And so we need to be ready for that. And uh, remember that only God is all powerful and only God is unchanging. And so in 2022, come what may, we look to him and he's our Lord, he's our savior, but he's also our shepherd and our provider. And I'm so thankful that you and I don't have to depend upon the government or uh, the economy or anything else. God has promised to provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. He said in the Great Commission that he would be with us until the end of the age. Marvelous promise there. And then I think about what David said in the Psalms. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. That is wonderful to know that we and our children are going to be taken care of by the Lord. And one of the ways the Lord does that is by our question today in the New City Catechism, which is a very simple one, but a very important one. And that is simply uh, the question, what is the church? And when we say that, we go, well, I know what the church is. It's that building with the steeple. It's that building where we go. But biblically, the church has never been identified as a building. In fact, in the New Testament, they didn't have church buildings. Uh, they were illegal and they were persecuted. And so they wouldn't be able to do anything like that. And if you think about the fact that you're persecuted by the government under the penalty of imprisonment or death, you probably would not want to have an identifiable building as the church where they would always know where to come to find you or arrest you. You would probably be moving from house to house. Paul talks about teaching people house to house. That wasn't door-to-door -door visitation. That was a gathering of the church. They would gather in homes and places like that. And uh, you might want to keep that moving, you know, so that the government is not aware of where you are. People do that all over the world today, in fact. The church, biblically speaking, is actually us. In fact, um, as you know, I've said this so many times over the years, I don't call this building that uh, I'm in right now the sanctuary because this is not where God lives. God lives in us. My heart, your heart is the sanctuary of God. And we indeed are the church. And so the uh, answer that we are given here, what is the church? It's a little bit long, 
but it's very good. It says, God chooses and preserves for himself a community elected for eternal life and united by faith who love, follow, learn from, and worship God together. God sends out this community, in other words, the church, to proclaim the gospel and prefigure Christ's kingdom by the quality of their life together and their love for one another. Okay, memorize that. Um, that would be difficult for me to do that. Notice um, as we look through the definition there, the word community. We are a fellowship. We are a community of believers. We're alike in this one aspect. Very different in many, but we're alike in this one aspect. We love the Lord and we've been saved by the grace of God. We've been elected for eternal life and united by faith. And notice the word love. We love and you might want to circle the word follow and the word learn from and worship. All of that kind of goes together. Uh, as we think about what we do for the Lord. And then we are sent out. Those words are important too. See, sends out this uh, community to proclaim the gospel. And notice that prefigure Christ's kingdom. We are not, as we are right now, the kingdom of God. The kingdom is yet to come. And yet in the same way, in a wonderful way, God does rule and reign on this earth through us. Now, I still believe that there is a literal earthly kingdom coming at the return of Christ. Too many promises in the Bible uh, to Israel especially promise this. And uh, yet at the same time, he rules and reigns in us and we're a prefigurement of the kingdom of God. In other words, people ought to be able to look at us and look at our church and look at our lives and look at the way we interact and see a picture of the kingdom of God. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, so it is a future aspect, and then says, And thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which I think is a picture of how the kingdom is going to be. And uh, so we should show that to others. And anything that doesn't reflect the kingdom and reflect doing the will of God with a, a, an enthusiasm and a joy like it's done in heaven falls short, of course, of that. And um, we think about uh, relegating the church to an organization or even to a building. I'm going to go to church or I'm going to the church, we might say, meaning the building. Um, that falls far short of what God really intends for his church to be. Uh, we are being the church. We are living the church. We are the church rather than simply going to the church. And as I heard my father-in-law say one time, sometimes we get so busy doing work at the church building, we forget to do the work of the church. And that is so incredibly true. So you might look over that answer that they give and uh, look over it several times and make sure that you're understanding and thinking about the different nuances there. Our scripture that we're going to use is 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you 
as the first fruits, the first of many to come, in other words, to be saved through sanctification or being set apart by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The only way we can get saved to become a part of the church is by belief, belief in the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for us. Um, very, very important. And that's why um, we as Baptists do not baptize babies because babies cannot profess faith in Christ and neither can they believe the truth. Now, children can and some do. But uh, a lot of us are saved when we're a, a little older than that, when we can comprehend those things. But understand, comprehension of the truth doesn't come by intellect, and it certainly doesn't come by maturity. It is brought about by the Spirit of God as a part of the eternal plan of God, is what we see there. So as we take these verses in Second Thessalonians and kind of break them down, our points are going to be like this. Number one, we are family. Paul said we are brothers beloved by the Lord. Now we see family just, just all over that, just dripping with that. Because the Lord is our father. He's also our master. He's the head of the church, head of the family, head of the kingdom, whatever you want to say about that. But he also uses the word brothers. We are related together. We're siblings I guess you would say, in the church and in the kingdom of God. He's the head. He's the father. We are the children of God, as we say. And so we know the Lord as our father and Christ as our head. And we are loved by the Lord. And because we're loved by the Lord, then we don't have any choice but to love one another. Why should I not love you if the Lord loves you? And why should you not love me if the Lord loves me? If that doesn't happen, there's a huge problem there. And if we both claim to be Christians, and this is true in marriage and in our families, if the Holy Spirit in me can't get along with the Holy Spirit in you, then somebody, maybe both, are not living under the control of the Holy Spirit, right? And the same thing is true in the church, unity and harmony because we're different, but yet together, all of us together in our love for the Lord and addressing and treating one another as family members, family members. And um, so we necessarily love one another. Think about these verses, Ephesians 5, 25, okay? Husbands, love your wives, and here's the point we want to emphasize, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ died for his church. Christ loves his church. And you know what? If we are followers of Christ, we certainly ought to love his church as well. Um, I've heard people make statements like, well, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church then you're out of step with Jesus, brother. You're out of step with Jesus, sister, if that's the case. Christ loved the church, and notice he gave himself for her. And you find a lot of people today that say, well, I love the Lord, but I don't have any time for the church. I've got other things that are taking me away from church. I've got other things that are more important than the church. Something doesn't set well with me about that because I don't think it's right I don't think it's the testimony of Scripture 
This is something that we ought to love. Love the church, love the gathering, love the worship, love the family aspect of the church because that's what Christ does. We need to be in step with him. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, Whoever says that he is in the light, that means saved, and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So to say that I love God and not love the church, not love my brothers, not love my family members, would make me, well, according to the word of God, a liar. And so when you find somebody that, oh, I know I'm going to heaven, but they haven't been to church in 15 years or however long, there is something really, really wrong about that and suspect about that. You ought to pray for that person's salvation. They don't love the Lord because they don't love his family. And they don't love his church. People that cause trouble in a church and want to be divisive in a church and want to always kind of trip up the work and the mission of the church and they don't want unity and they don't want fellowship and they don't want harmony, you better pray for those people because they're probably not saved. And so all of this kind of fits together, loving God and loving people. In fact, we could have included, uh, when Jesus was asked about the great commandment, he said the greatest, of course, is to love God with everything you've got. And he says the second is like it, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That fits right in with what we've been saying, loving God and loving people, especially the household of faith. The Bible goes on to say, let us do good to all, but especially the household of faith. There's just something about the church and the family of God that uh, the Lord loves and we certainly ought to love. And so uh, consider that, we're family. Number two, we are chosen. And it says, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. And we forget sometimes, this is not a, a team that we volunteered for. This is not something that we uh, try to help God out and so we joined up. It's not like that. The Bible says over and over and over, we were chosen by him. He is the one who included us, not us including him. I was thinking about how many times uh, I've heard in church growing up that Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he wants to come in and so he knocks, but he's a gentleman and he's not going to force his way into your life. I've heard that a lot. And then it goes on to say that the handle is on the inside. In other words, salvation really is up to me. I have all the power and I determine what is going to happen. And that means then that I am doing something to help poor little Jesus who is just kind of shut out and stuck on the outside and I'm going to do him a favor and I'm going to let him in. Do you hear the, the pride? That just drips with pride. I'm going to do something for the Lord. I'm going to help him out. I'm going to make sure that he's not left out. I'm going to let him into my life. Now, the Bible shows something completely different than that. The Bible shows salvation as being God-centered, and it's for his glory, and he is the one that has honored us by letting us into his family, by choosing us to be a part 
of his kingdom and a part of his church. And it is a privilege to be saved. It is a privilege to be a part of the church. And not only that, but I believe that by extension, he chooses us to be a part of a local church. You're not a member of Graceway by any kind of an accident, by any stretch of the imagination. You're a member here because he called you. He's chosen you to be a part here. And so don't take it for granted and don't sell the church short and don't be uh, the kind of person that sort of holds back or just wants to kind of blend in or leave everything to everybody else. No, you're here for a reason and we need you and your gifts to be operational in the church so we can be everything that we're supposed to be. It's mutual edification, mutual blessing that we give to one another and we're to do that with joy and to do that also with enthusiasm. Think about this. This means that the church is regenerate. Okay, I'll repeat what I said earlier. That's why we don't baptize babies. The church is not made up of just people who come, whatever the age, it's made up of people who have confessed faith in Christ. We are uh, what would be called as credo-baptist, the creed meaning faith, we believe something. And so when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they repent of their sins and surrender to Christ as Lord, believing that he is the one who paid for their sins in full and has been raised from the dead, it's kind of Romans 10, 9 and 10, and they've been properly scripturally baptized by immersion, not for salvation, but because they are saved as a testimony of their faith, then they're welcome to come and be a part of the church. Regenerate church membership. Saved people make up the church. I hope that's perfectly clear to you. And uh, that's why we have little children. They may attend the church, but they're not church members yet not until they have come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so the church is to be regenerate. And also, that term firstfruits tells us that the church is supposed to multiply, multiply. A farmer in the Bible times would go out, and let's say he had an apple orchard, and he would go out and he would bring what he would estimate to be a tenth of his crop and take it into the temple and dedicate it to the Lord. Now, he hasn't taken everything yet. These are first fruits. He doesn't take all of his harvest and then take part of it to the Lord. He goes in and gives the very first of it to the Lord. And what is he doing there? He is acknowledging God and acknowledging that God is the one who gives the fruit, and he is anticipating more to come. So when the Bible says that we are the first fruits, the Lord is anticipating that we're just the beginning. There is more to come. Why? Because we're going to witness and we're going to lead people to faith in Christ and we're going to help them to grow in Christ so that they in turn will witness and lead other people to Christ. And then it's like a snowball going downhill. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The Bible says in the book of Acts in the early church, Acts 2.47, that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Uh, there's something about being able to be a God-centered church, but at the same time being a good neighbor, having our community think well of us. 
And then notice what it says right after that. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God saves people and he adds them to the church. God saves people through our witness, through our good works. Good works don't save, but they're a testimony of salvation. And we let our light shine before men so that others see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father, which is in heaven. And through that, we have an opportunity to share the gospel. And that's what we ought to be doing. And the Lord added to the church. Notice that. Not us, not the people, the Lord added to the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, notice what Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the Lord builds a church. I'm not a church builder. You hear sometimes pastors talk about building the church, and other people will come to a pastor, how did you build your church? Well, that's not really scriptural, is it? I know what people mean, but that's not really scriptural. Christ builds the church, and we shouldn't compete with him. And there's a lot of church, there are a lot of churches today where there's kind of a, any old person goes out, starts a church, and it's kind of like an entrepreneurial thing. They own the property, they own the building, and they run everything, and they work it, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. The church belongs to the Lord. He's the head of the church. He's the builder of the church as well. So as we're rightly related to him, we can expect the church to be built up. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So let that sink into your heart. You were chosen to be a part of the Lord's work, to receive salvation, and to be a part of his church, even to the point of being in the local church. Number three. We are sanctified. We are sanctified. Paul said in that second Thessalonian passage, through sanctification by the Spirit. Now, you and I do not sanctify ourselves. I used to think that, and I used to think that, well, the Lord saved me, now it's up to me to get sanctified. And I was told when I was a child that sanctification was spiritual growth, growing in Christ. Well, that uh, is, is certainly true, and that's certainly supposed to happen. But the root of the word sanctification as uh, S-A-N-C-T. Uh, you might see some Latin sometimes about sanctus or something like that. You know what that means? It means holy. It's a Latin root word for holy. And so we have been chosen, the Bible says, to be made holy by the Lord. But the word holy means more than just walking around with a halo on your head and, you know, that kind of stuff that we might think of. The word holy actually means, this is a literal meaning, set apart. And so what God did was he took you and he took me and he set us apart to live a certain way by his grace and by his power after salvation so that we testify of him and of his grace. And so sanctification actually means set apart. Have you been set apart? Does your life show up as one who is set apart, or do you look like the culture? 
Do you look like everybody else? Do you copycat what you see on TV? Do you copycat what you see other people around you doing at work, at home, at school? Are you just following the crowd and living like everyone else, blending in and being camouflaged? Well, then you're not sanctified. Now, I didn't say you weren't saved. You may not be. It'd be certainly something to check out, but you're certainly not being sanctified. Sanctified is when God pulls you out of all of that and sets you apart for himself and for his work and for his glory. That's what it means to be holy. How do we become holy? Well, again, we don't make ourselves holy. Jesus said in John 17, 17, his high priestly prayer, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now notice that first part. Jesus is asking the Father to sanctify those who follow him. Because we can't do it. It's got to be done by the Father through us. Will it change the way you live? Change the way you act? Motivate you? Push you? Make you enthused? Yeah, it will. But that's God that is doing that. And he does it through his word. And that's why we take the time every week to preach out of the Bible. You hear very little of what I think or what I'm trying to accomplish. What my goal is, is to tell you what God's word says and to give you the context and then let the Holy Spirit make the application on all of that because that is what, how the Father sanctifies us. And he does it not only through his word, but the Lord does it by giving us understanding. John 14, 26 but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. And you think about the Holy Spirit. He gives us spiritual gifts that we use in the body. He gives us people that can teach us the Word of God, pastors, elders, teachers, those kind of people that can help us unlock the meaning of Scripture. He brings them into our lives. And he does this because this is his will. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God. You ever wondered what the will of God is? I'm going to tell you. Your sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And how does that look? That you abstain from sexual immorality. You are set apart for the will of God, to live by the commands of God for the glory of God as a witness to the salvation that God has given you. See what I mean? So all of this is the way that we are sanctified, made holy, are set apart for the master's use. And so our lives are different. Our thoughts are different. Our vocabulary is different. Our priorities are different. We are the people of God. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing like that on the earth, nothing that compares to that on the earth. I heard a man saying one time, he said, I wouldn't step down from being a pastor to be the king of England. Well, that would be certainly true. That would be a step down. And that's true not only of pastors, but of you. It would be a step down to do anything except be in the church and be serving God in the church however he has called you, gifted, and equipped you to serve in the church. We are all chosen for this, and it is through our involvement in the church and in the word of God and with one another that the Lord uses us for his will and for his glory and for our sanctification.
And number four, as we wrap this up, we are a repository of truth, a repository of truth. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians again, and believe in the truth. Where are you going to find truth? You find it in the schools? You find it in the universities? I mean, they may claim that, but think about what they teach and think about what they believe. We came from monkeys. We are no more than just mutations that uh, got lucky, right? Is that, is that what the Bible teaches? Is that truth? And again, as you've heard it said so often, we teach our children that they are nothing but animals, and then we are surprised when they act that way, when the world acts that way. I mean, we are the repository of truth. How many people are taught in other religions and even in some other so-called churches anything about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as a full payment for sin. Uh, they teach that you've got to improve yourself. They teach psychology. They teach self-help. And they teach earning salvation, that type of thing. But not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The true church of the Lord Jesus Christ teaches the truth about salvation, the depravity of man, the sacrifice of Christ for our sins as the only way to heaven. You know, some so-called churches teach there are many ways to heaven and all things refer to God, whether you call him Allah or Buddha or whatever, different words for the same God. Well, that's not true. And biblically, it cannot be true. Think about all of the things that are heard in society today. Love anyone you want, have sex with anyone you want, do whatever pleases you. And uh, that is simply not the truth. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15, If I delay, you may know uh, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Listen to this. A pillar and a buttress of the truth. We're here in this world to counteract the things that they say. We're in the world to stand up for truth, no matter what the world may say that they believe. Now, not everything they believe is a lie. And science, particularly medical science, has benefited a lot of us, right? Including yours truly. But when you think about all of the philosophies and the things that are so destructive that they believe it's almost mind-numbing and overwhelming. Why are we here? To counteract all that. We are here to say there's a better way. There's a truthful way. And here's how you get to know God. This is how your sins are forgiven. This is how you become a child of God. And this is how a child of God lives. We are pillar and buttress of truth, standing for the truth against the assault of the enemy. And so we preach and teach the Bible. And then we not only do that, but we live it. It doesn't do any good if we say we believe it, if we don't live it. It's got to be the testimony of our life as well as our lips. And we stand against sin and we stand against the lies of the enemy. That's where our warfare really is. And when we speak the truth, though, we need to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. Let everything you do be done in love. And I'm afraid sometimes we are out going to war and going to battle. We're onward Christian soldiers. 
and we forget who the enemy is and we treat the world as though they're the problem. We treat lost people as though they're the problem. We go out with this militant hate sometimes toward everybody who doesn't agree with us. And yet the Bible tells us we're to speak the truth even to one another. Speak the truth, but do it in love. And people can tell when you really care about them or not. And so in conclusion, remember, we must have a personal salvation through Christ and uh, we must become a part of his church through that. That's the only way. And we also are to be faithfully involved in a local visible church. We're to attend, we're to give, we're to serve, and we're to love. And the command is in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us, Christians, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to need each other more and more as we get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the latter days, are going to be marked by perilous times, the apostle says. And as the times get more and more perilous, and by the way, they can and they will get worse than what we see now, we're going to need each other and the fellowship of the church more and more. And sadly, some people who discount the church and don't love the church, they're going to be caught off guard by the perilous times that come. But those who are learning the word, I mean really learning, not just enduring a sermon, but actually learning the word, those who actually get involved with fellowship and build community with one another and are involved in one another's lives and who stand upon the truth, all of these things we've been talking about, they'll make it. They'll endure to the end. They'll be the ones that will be the testimony for Christ even under persecution. And those ones we're talking about may be your children. They may be your grandchildren or somebody else's. And that's why we've got to invest in them. And that's why we've got to pray for them. And so nothing is going to be done for the glory of God that will be life-changing or even world or society changing except through the church. It's a privilege to be a part of the church. It's an honor to be a part of the church. And this is where the work of God is being done and it's being done for his glory. This is eternal work. Don't ever take it for granted. This is where the Lord gets glory. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, to him be glory in Christ Jesus in the church. World without end to all generations, he says. It's in the church. This is where the action is. This is where God is at work. So think differently about that. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. And it's a privilege to meet with God's people and to be a part of what God is doing in other lives through his church. Well, I hope that blesses you. Hope that encourages you. And thank you, teachers, for your faithful teaching of these lessons. And for those of you who are watching to keep up with your Sunday school class, good for you. God bless you. I'm proud of you for doing that. And as we wrap up this year, may God give us a blessed 2022 for his glory and for our good. Thank you for your time. And again, 
May the Lord bless you and bless you richly.